This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Vayner Nation, how are you? If you've been paying attention to me in any shape or form over the last nine months, you know how much I am deep into NFT land. One of the things that has really caught my attention over the last four to five weeks is the thought of, wait a minute, you know, there's 50 to 100 to 200 of these great projects coming out a day now, which is causing a supply and demand issue. And one of my great fears is that people are day trading and really kind of using NFTs as an investment tool, which is great. And I love that stuff. And I'm a businessman, but uh, I do worry about oversupply versus demand, even though I think demand is exploding by the day and people are getting in buying their Ethereum and other currencies to buy some of these NFTs. I, I am concerned by the sheer speed of the amount of projects that are out there. And so I've been doing a lot more archaeology work, as my brother AJ calls it. I've been looking back to the olden days of NFTs, which takes me way, 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 way back to the year 2017 and 2018, when some of these projects started hitting the scene. Um, and one particular project really caught my attention. And I started doing some real homework Um as I've gotten more and more into the NFT land, whether it was Chubbies or uh, Fame Lady Squad, I realized you know I need to know a little bit more homework about the human behind this project because sometimes the art is stolen, sometimes people claim to be who they're not, and you know unfortunately and you know unfortunately when you when you get a platform, it's required a little bit more homework before you yap. Even though I make a hundred trillion videos on Twitter and Instagram and on this podcast saying, please don't buy what I buy. I buy things for different reasons. I'm trying to learn. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm playing a different game. Plus I've spent years and I mean years on, you know, putting myself into a position to be able to afford to take risk. Uh, and so even though I say all those things, people kind of jump. And so I, I start doing more homework than ever. And during one of those, I call them bingers, because I get into something and I'm just in it. And I discovered this incredible project, Crypto Strikers, um, that I was really fascinated by uh, on OpenSea. They're called Rap Strikers. We'll go into that in a minute. Uh, and 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 now I do the kind of homework where I reach out to the individuals behind it. And that is how I uh, met... Uh, my guest on today's podcast, and I asked uh, Gianni to get on the show, mainly to talk about 2017-18 NFT land, because as you know, if you're listening, um, I think history tells you the future, and I think there's a lot to glean from the people that launched projects in 2017 and 18, and so I thought this would be a great opportunity for a lot of you to learn about that era, even though it's five minutes ago, it's a billion years ago. I mean, I saw World of Women, a project I'm very into today, tweet that you know, we launched our project a month ago. We want to thank everybody. I'm like, Jesus, that felt like 600 years ago. And so uh, I'm really excited uh, for this guest to be here. And so my friend, why don't you take the floor, tell everybody who you are, uh, a little bit about yourself and a little bit about how the project got kicked off. Yeah, awesome. Um, super happy to be here and kind of, this has kind of caught us by surprise because as you said, you know, Crypto Strikers is a 2018 project. We uh, my partner and I, my part, what, partner what, Ben and tell I. Tell everybody who you are. I apologize. Oh, yeah. Tell me your, your full name, your background a little bit, and then we'll get into Ben and all that too. Sorry. Cool. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I'm, my name is Johnny Satino, uh, born and raised in Montreal, studied computer science. I was working at a, a fantasy sports company called Draft that ended up getting acquired in like early 2017. Um, and I basically, at that point, like took some of the money from the exit and just like, 
I wanted to, you know, just do some research on crypto. I put it into Ethereum and Ethereum just like skyrocketed from there. And I was like, all right, you know, now like a large chunk of my net worth is in this thing. I got, I got to learn about it. I actually got to do some research and figure out what it is, what's going on with this uh, kind of this new world of, of smart contracts and, and programmable money. So I started doing a deep dive, you know, at the time, the big rush with ICOs, the trading ICOs uh, back and forth. But really what caught my eye was late 2017 was uh, CryptoKitties, which was the first, you know, kind of mainstream NFT project. So yeah, it was, uh, the, fir- I- it was the first one. It was the first one I ever, you know. I also bought ETH a couple of years earlier. CryptoKitties was the first thing that I'd ever heard of. And, and I really want to, not over regret, because I just don't have that gear in me. But there was two or three times, Yadi, where I was like, oh, I'm going to sit down and really look at kitties uh, today. And, and I really believe, had I done that, all this insanity that is taking over my life right now would have started back then. I, I do believe I'm a man of timing. You know, I think my greatest strength is understanding when millions are going to do it, not hundreds of thousands. Ten, yeah. yeah, I think that I always think my best skill set in business is when tens of millions are going to do it versus tens of thousands. I probably would have figured out in 17, my intuition, I could be wrong about this, that it wasn't prime time yet. But fuck, I think I would have ended up with strikers and punks and kitties and some ETH and who knows what the wins would have done. I'm clearly glad I'm at where I'm at, but man, I wish those three different times in 17, I feel, or 18, where I was like, let me dig into it this weekend or this holiday or tonight, and I never got around to it. So to back up your point, and I think for a lot of people listening here, CryptoKitties was probably the thing they heard. Yeah, and that was, you know, only a couple thousand people using it, but it was like the first kind of mainstream success. And like, I think it would have been really tough to extrapolate seeing NFTs then to where they are now, because that project had like a little, you know, one month peak, a couple thousand people using it, but it never fully, fully crossed and, and captured the public's imagination like NFT projects did today. So, you know, punks, they were giving them out for free. Like you never would have known that punks before would be uh, whatever the floor is today. It's like some crazy stuff. So I'm kicking myself too. I was, I saw the, CryptoPunk's website when they were just free and you can claim your punk. And, you know, now it's like, that was a pretty expensive mistake <laughs> looking back. Um, but yeah, now that was, you know, so I saw CryptoKitties and I figured like, all right, I, I'm an engineer. I kind of want to build something. I come from a sports background, played sports my whole life. Uh, the logical kind of step also, given that it was a World Cup year that year, was making sports cards in the blockchain. So like the Panini sticker equivalent to, you know, having your Panini book and collecting stickers. It's like, all right, how do we use this kind of new NFT concept um, and, and you know, have these cards on the blockchain where you can buy packs, trade them with people, sell them on a the marketplace. And that was kind of the impetus for Crypto Strikers. What, um, what happened? Like, tell me, like, you know, obviously you're into it. You're digging deeper into it. You see kitties. You're like, let me go even deeper and get myself involved in it, which is a very me move. That's what, literally you did what I did with BeFriends. I'm like, the, only, the way I learn is by doing. What, um, how did Ben come, how did your partner come along? Did you guys know each other? And I don't want to glance over the, the logical thing, understand you're into sports, World Cup, but I want to go a little bit more into the details of like, what was different then, Johnny, versus what's going on now? Like, did you, you know, how'd you get your designers? How'd you think about it? Obviously the RC standards were different. Like go a little nerdy for five minutes with me on this. Yes, yeah, so I can start with how I met Ben. I, we have a, mute, a mutual friend, uh, Jeremy Levine, who's like really big in the sports card world and the fantasy sports world. And I was bouncing ideas off him. And he, you know, during one of our brainstorm sessions, he's like, 
sports cards on the blockchain. Like it makes so much sense. This is like one of those crossover things that could bring mass adoption to to uh, to NFTs and tokens. And he's like, I know a friend of mine, this guy Ben. He's looking to work on a project. Like you guys should totally sync up and 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 just get the ball rolling. You know, just fucking do it. And that was kind of how we met. And then we started brainstorming. We're like, look, these things have to look awesome. Like people are not going to buy them if they don't look good. So we started searching for designers. We found two different uh, designers, one in Montreal, one in the, I believe in the Philippines, who made the two different uh, editions of the cards. And we, we started brainstorming these concepts. Uh, all right, like how is the pack sale going to look like? What's, you know, what's the trading marketplace? And then basically like at one point it was a hundred days to the World Cup. Or like, all right, are we doing this or not? Like we got to, if we, if we want to do it, like there's a lot of engineering work, a lot of like PR work to do. So we just went heads down for three months and basically on an early, early version of the ERC 721 standard, which is, you know, if we get to the wrapped strikers later, I had to build a wrapper this year to make them compatible with OpenSea and other sites because it was such an older format. But we just went heads down for basically a hundred days straight and like launched on day one of the World Cup. Did you literally make it for day one? Yeah, I think like I, I mean I didn't sleep for the last week of it, and like we were testing stuff out. Like the the nerdy thing, you know, if you want to get into the technicals of, of smart contracts, yeah. like once you once you ship them, you can't actually change That's the it. code. They're on the right. blockchain it's not, forever. It's, right. It's not like for everybody who gets like I'm not a developer, but I've worked with them since 1996 closely. I understand what Johnny just said. Like. We used to launch things like push out things for winelibrary.com and it didn't work. And Eric Kastner or John Casamatis would go back into the code, fix something and push it. And then I'd look at it. It'd be live for two hours. We, we used to, this was like old school 96 when we didn't even have like a dev server. So we'd be like developing live on the internet because there wasn't anybody really paying attention anyway. Um, to your point, this, and this happened with me with vBrands. There was... You know, we did a great job because we were going hard, but um, we even had one slight error, even though we looked at the data seven trillion times, you know, uh, with the anchovy in my in my set. Was there any errors, actually, when you pushed it? No, no, we actually did a, a bug bounty program, opened it up to the public, said, hey, if you want to look at our code and find a bug, we'll give you money. Someone found a small bug. I think we gave them like, you know, one or two ETH at the time, which was, you know, a thousand dollars or something. But like it saved us probably, you know, a, a large loss had that gone live. But yeah, I mean, the contract ran perfectly fine, never any hacks or anything. So that was like a, a big success, but it was definitely stressful. How bit, you know, how do you compare this era of NFT craze to that 18 when things were starting to pop off that first wave? Well, I, I can give you like the numbers we did in our, you know, our total sale of cards, I think was like 50 ETH over the course of a month. And now projects basically hire like a designer off Fiverr and they sell out like, you know, $2 million worth of tokens. And we were like <laughs> one of the bigger, bigger projects. It was like CryptoKitties and then us in terms of volume on like the early, early OpenSea days. And we had done like 50 ETH of, of sales basically. So it's like microscopic compared to what you're seeing today. And were you like pumped? Like, wow, we really nailed it? Yeah, uh, we, we were super excited because people loved it. We had like a really um, committed and like involved community. People like were in the Discord every day, chatting, trading. So like on that note, tell it was everybody, a success. Tell, John, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Like tell everybody about the Discord culture back then versus today. Same thing, like it was the main place where people communicated. I think crypto projects had started using Discord. Like the, the first time I used Zoom and Discord was like in that era, like in the early 2018 when you know i'm syncing up with designers for these projects and like other crypto guys picking their brain but yeah it was the place it was either telegram groups or discord 
and Discord's kind of better for like managing, you know, channels and stuff. So we set up a Discord and like during the games, during the World Cup, people would come in and like live live chat during the game. So it was definitely um, the Discord was like one of our, our highlights of the community. But that was the place where early crypto projects kind of had their uh, people kind of gather and chat. Why did the NFT thing not gradually grow? Why did it kind of die off and then resurrect? Like what what did what's your observation of 2019 or 2020 or or did they not die off and they did gradually grow? Like what's your perception on that? It, I mean, it fully died off. Like we so we tried to raise money off the back of crypto strikers. Like, look, we had this thing, we ran it, had a bit of success, and like investors just didn't really care. And like, you know, OpenSea was around, Super Rare was around, and like I really respect those guys because they just grinded it out for two years in a full-blown bear market where like no one cared about NFTs. Um but I don't know. Like honestly, the UX is really bad back then. It's still kind of bad for the average person to come <laughs> in and like. It's yeah, still it's like, hard. I thought the kind of the uh, you know what would trigger mass adoption of NFTs would be like the UX gets 10x better, and it hasn't. So I don't know what's changed. Why NFTs like resonate more today than they did two years ago? I don't know if it's the pandemic, people stuck at home, people looking for kind of ways to speculate on things. Um, but for some reason, people just you know love the NFTs today, and like they didn't love them two years ago, but. It's hard for me to put a finger on what changed. Do you think investors struggled because you didn't have the rights? You know, as this project is resurrected, I've been obviously very involved in Discord and I'm a, a major collector of your project. Do you think, you know, a lot of times people bring up to me other serious collectors like, hey, Gary, you know, so rare. I like so rare better because they have the rights. You know, like some of the footballers are doing their own direct products. I didn't take a look yet under the hood, but Messi did his own thing recently here. Was was that an issue? Did that lead to you to selling it? Because I know you and Ben sold the company. Like, what was the whole? You know, there's I have a baseball card set that I'm in love with from 1951-52 called Burke Ross. That this entrepreneur just made baseball cards and put them into his cookies and didn't talk to anybody about it. Just did it. Um, I think that was a little more ridiculous because cards had been around for 70 years and there was a call it a acceptable protocol and a way to do things. I think what you and Ben did, it was such early frontier that, you know, I don't, I, I don't see them the same. You know, I think he would, that, that entrepreneur in the fifties was a little bit more aggressive. I think there was a little bit, uh, you know, even talking, think about what you just said. We had one of the most successful projects and we did 50 ETH when ETH was $500. Right. So, uh, I'm just curious from that perspective, do you feel that was the interpretation and what has been the history of the fact that, you know, you didn't do this screw fee for the players? Yeah. I mean, the goal was always to kind of validate the concept and then, you know, raise some money and then, you know, do either partner with an existing, uh, yeah, yeah, partner with an existing card maker. Like we had very high level talks with Panini, um, back in the day we had, you know, we could talk to some other companies that were rights holders and that was the path we were going to pursue. But the, yep. I mean, the thing, the thing with you know the leagues and the, you know, we had talks with the association and stuff. They have really high like minimum guarantees, and there's like there was no way in 2018, 2019 when no one's buying NFTs to like make turn a profit. Like people just didn't care. Sure. So it's like we can guarantee, you know, sign a contract, pay them a million dollars a year in MGs, and like what are we going to do? We're going to sell 25k worth of NFTs. Yeah. So that, that kind of you know so that's why I respect like the so rares of the world who just kind of toughed it out, grinded, grinded, grinded. And now they're in a really, really, really good place. I know you're an investor in SoRare and like they're an awesome company and we love them. But they were early Crypto Strikers users too. It's so, like they kind of, yeah, it's you fun. know, yeah. What, um, 
So let's talk about the resurrection. So you're living life. You did this once. I'm sure, you know, back in the day, you leave the space, I assume, because there wasn't anything going on. And that's at least what I can assume from what I've seen from afar. All of a sudden, this, you know, NBA Top Shot hits in the fall of 2020. Punks starts having things happen in March of 2020, then June of 2020, then the fall of 2020. And then shit gets completely batshit crazy in early 2021. You got characters like me and Cuban on CNBC. You got people selling for 69 million. Top shop punks go to this. And now we're in full pledge hysteria nine months in. When did it register for you that, oh shit, this thing that I was so prominently involved in is coming back? Pretty early. So, I mean, I, I left the space in the sense that like that my, my day project, what I work on for my, for my day job is not crypto related, but I'm still like super close and following the space. A lot of my friends still work in crypto. So I was like well aware of what was happening in, in NFTs. I was one of the early, probably first 100 users in Top Shot. I was in their beta. So seeing all this, you know, and then, you know, January, February, 2021, you see NFTs going crazy. You're like, man, I had an NFT project three years ago. How do we start bring this back? Like, how do I not miss this wave? So I was uh, on vacation with my girlfriend. I wrote the wrapper contract just to get the cards working with the new exchanges. And it was just like a explain, slow explain, process. Explain. So everybody, when you look for this, you got to go to OpenSea and go to wrapped strikers, not crypto strikers. When you search it, explain what wrapping means. I know it's a little nerdy, but in its most simplest form for everybody who's listening. Yeah. So wrapping is when you uh, basically take an asset and you lock it up in a smart contract and the smart contract gives you a new asset that is compatible with a new protocol, a new website. So basically it's just like a one-to-one -one trade where you're trading in the old thing, you're getting a new thing that works everywhere. So I think CryptoPunks, you know, similar boat, they're not on ERC 721. So they, you can wrap your punks and have wrapped punks. Um, there's a bunch of other projects that have done that, mostly old projects, just to make them compatible. You're swapping in the old NFT for a new NFT that works everywhere. Now, Johnny, a lot of people ask me this. If Ethereum isn't destined to be the platform, will it be wrapping or something similar that makes people take NFTs that worked on Ethereum and make them work on a future blockchain that may be the winner of 2030? Yeah, I think that'd be more like bridging is what people call that, where you're, you're bridging assets from one blockchain to another. And like people talk about this multi-blockchain world where, you know, you have Ethereum coexisting with Solana, coexisting with uh, Polkadot. You know, like Polkadot, exactly. And you'd be able to port your assets from one to the other. Um, I think Ethereum has like a really big head start. I don't want to pick any winners just yet. But like, yeah, if ever some other blockchain became dominant, it would involve bridging your assets from Ethereum over to that blockchain. Do you consider Ethereum in a place, I mean, this is one man's opinion. None of us know. I've talked to everybody about this. You can imagine for me, I'm in a spot where BeFriends was so successful that I'm there. I have a lot of ETH and I have to be very thoughtful about diversification, things of that nature. Um, you know, do you, in your own mind, do you ever think about Ethereum kind of similar to Yahoo, where it's like, okay, Yahoo, I mean, obviously it's different things, but we're talking from a brand standpoint, Yahoo kind of emerged as the winning search engine from those early days. And then it did take something that was so much stronger at it than Yahoo, aka Google, you know, five, six, seven years later to kind of take market share. Do you think something has to cut, given how far ahead Ethereum is uh, and ETH is, uh, do you think it's gonna take something really special to kind of move that pendulum? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it might be like a second mouse gets the cheese type situation where someone just comes yep. in and does it better. But like, as a developer and knowing a lot of people who are developers in the crypto space, like everyone's building, you know, not everyone, but a good 90% of the people are building on Ethereum. So you have this like network effects of the developers. So it would have to be like a 10x experience, not for just the users, but also for the developers to switch over. Because like end of the day, the people building products on top of the platform or like is, is that's what's going to determine the winner is like you can have the best blockchain in the world if there's no experiences. And what, and, no, and, yeah. and, what, and what about for Web2, like websites? I remember Wine Library was originally on ASP. Then it was PHP. Then it was Ruby on Rails. Python, like do you see similar? Like there it seemed that the language of preference for developers tended to evolve. It might, the same thing might happen here. Like the language for Ethereum is actually not amazing. It's this thing called Solidity. It's like a, a Ethereum specific thing. You know, maybe one day a blockchain comes where you can just write JavaScript, which is what most people know. And you can build amazing apps on top of it. I haven't seen that yet. Um, but yeah, all I know is that today, most of the developer activity is on Ethereum, whether that something much better comes along and that changes, I think it's gonna take couple of years, but for now, Ethereum, to me, is a clear, the clear front runner. What, um, what resurrected, so going back, cause I, I sidetracked you, but I like bouncing around. So now you're like, oh shit, this is all happening. I have this project that I, is my baby, of course, like any project, I'm gonna write a wrapper for it so that the people that are sitting with it can show up on OpenSea. So I assume that's where you were going earlier. That's what you did. Tell me what happened from there. Well, I mean, from there, it kind of just sat, sat pretty quiet until you found it. To be honest, it's I was sitting in, I was sitting in the Discord one day, and people were like, "Yo, who's this?" Is that right? Uh, is there is that right? There was no other. There was no other like blip or there was two. One small spike, I think, the Thursday before you found it. Um, it kind of like we did sixty ETH in volume that day, and then it came back down. Had a little bit, you know, people were rediscovering these old projects. We had a little spike, but then I think the Ether Rocks came out, and like everyone rushed into the rocks. Um, but then you started buying up and I guess you, you did on your public wallet, people noticed, and then that just snowballed into madness. But uh, it was basically you, to be honest. And tell me the story of what was happening for you on your end. <laughs> You're like sitting there and... I saw messages in the Discord and like, uh, someone was like, yo, who's buying up all these cards? So I hop into the OpenSea activity and I'm looking at the history. I'm like, man, this guy's like buying, you know, one ETH here, two ETH and like loading up. And then someone's like, oh, you don't know who that is. That's, that's Gary V, by the way. So I started doing some digging, started piecing together the mystery. Um, and then I saw, I believe the same day Logan Paul was buying. I'm like, all right, something's up. Something's got to give. And then, you know, obviously you and I, you reached out to me and we started talking. Yep. But that was kind of like, you know, someone noticed it in Discord. I did some digging and I was like, all right, like what's, what's going on here? And, and so now what's been happening the last two weeks? I mean, we just had these crazy, crazy days. Like, I think we were the number, like we were top 10 NFT projects for a couple of days. I think now we're like top 15. Uh, you know, we did more volume than like Zed Run, Top Shot, So Rare for a couple of those days. You had, you know, uh, the DraftKings guy, Matt, Matt Kalish. Yes. You had mm -hmm. you, you had Logan Paul, you had Steve Aoki, like seeing all these blue checks buying cards. It's been like really, really crazy. Um, I think it's slowed down a bit from that peak. But I think yeah, people no, have it, kind of, it's been yeah. interesting to watch the ebbs and flows. Like, it's funny, like going through patterns now, it's there's so many projects, it's like moments, and then like one one thing happens and everyone gets, you know, crazy again. It's it's been interesting. What's been fun for me is seeing a lot of old accounts wrapping in. 
Yeah, like, we've I been tracking great. that number, the the, the yeah. wrapped percentage, basically. So, I mean, just more context for people who are not familiar with Crypto Strikers, there was 10,261 cards total that we minted in 2018. So we sold them for a month. Those cards- By the way, I, you know what? I forgot that. Did, are you 10,261? Yeah. You know what's no, no, wild about not, that? Because, no, no, I know that. The original, the, the original, right? Yeah. That was- yeah. Friends is 10,255 which is wild because that's just very unusual numbers by today's world for us to be that close within each other. I like that, keep going. Well, the crazy thing is like all these projects today, they do 10,000 on purpose. They like, all right, like we're creating the supply of 10,000. We just like sold all the cards we could. And once the World Cup ended, we just stopped selling cards and it just landed at that number, which is like kind wild. of the standard NFT number today is 10,000. We just got there by some weird accident. And I guess you guys probably got there by accident too, but yeah, that's uh, no, close. No, I was very affected by punks. That was the thing I most taped into in January. And so I was aiming towards that number, but I was, but I did characters with, you know, 20, then eight and five and just kind of the math worked out that way. And I was like, fine. I'm also like, not that anal. I'm like, who cares? Like they ran a little over. It is what it is. Um, so what's the state of the union right now? Like, what do you, are, are you, what are you thinking about? Because you sold the company, right? We sold parts of it. We sold some of the assets. So it was actually a company that had raised money to go do licensed NFTs. Uh, and then the bear market hit and we just, we kind of pivoted to other stuff and mostly in the sports gaming, sports betting world. Um, but they, they own certain assets, certain assets stayed behind in the LLC. So, I mean, Ben and I are talking because obviously now we got all these eyeballs on the project. Like, what do we do with it? Do we, you know, what are the options? We haven't figured it out. We both have day jobs. So it's kind of tough to to manage this project, which we thought was in the past and what we're currently working on. But we're, we're evaluating a few options. We definitely want to like be supportive and, and be helpful where we can for all the people who Custo bought yeah, cards I mean, been, you guys have You guys have been great custodians in this court, if nothing else. And to remind everybody who's listening, just because the way it worked back then, there is no royalties on this, plus they sold it. I don't know what, but but there was no royalty contract, right, Gianni, on, on this. No. Um, we, which, we didn't turn those on on OpenSea, yeah. Johnny, was that, was that common in 17 and 18, the royalty component or no? I found, I found an old agreement between OpenSea and us because we were one of the first projects on OpenSea and that we had signed like a, a rev share where they got half the fees and they got, you know, we split the fees half half, but that was like for 2018. Oh, 2.5 back then. Yeah, yeah, it lasted only that year. That contract's done. Now there's no royalties. Only OpenSea takes their cut. But like, yeah, the, the agreements <laughs> were fully different did back you, then. Did you, did, yeah, did you look at it the, the other day and be like, damn, I wish that <laughs> you take a look at, see if it had expired? Uh, yeah, I mean, recalled? I uh, I don't mind. Honestly, I just want people to have fun with it. Like we're not in it to make money. We just always thought this was like a really, really cool thing that we were, you know, eventually if we had taken it full scale, we wanted to make money off of it. But course, at the time it was just an experiment, right? So I yeah, wasn't it was a too way angry. To like learn. Yeah, of course. Yeah. What about for you as a collector today? What projects are you into, if any? Um, I mean, I'm kicking myself. I saw the Bored Ape contract when only 64 apes had been minted and I could have just gone and then minted a ton. I sent it to some friends. I'm like, I don't think this is going to sell out. And next thing I know, it's sold out. So I, I missed out on apes. Um, I'm probably going to buy a punk soon. I think you, everyone, I think you have to own a punk. That's probably the one that's going to hold the value. Yeah, most you know, it's term. funny you say that. Every everybody I talk to right now who feels they're late and they're like, "Man, Gary, I shouldn't. I can't buy a punk now. It's a hundred. It's a lot of money, first of all. But the ones who can afford it, I'm like, listen to me. You are the furthest thing from late. I'm like, ninety-eight yeah. percent of the world doesn't even know what it is. Ninety-nine percent of the world is not participating. Like this is just starting and I agree with you on punks for that reason.
Yeah, I think that's the one. You know, it'd be really stupid for me to be in NFTs to the extent that I am and not own a punt. So I, I got to figure that out and buy one pretty pretty soon before the floor. Yeah, I think you should. Goes yeah, up another ten percent. Yeah, I think exactly. Um, but you are looking at projects constantly and things of that nature. Yeah, I'm always like. You know, I've been kind of looking at that ON1 project that came out the other day. I try to get in on drops just because I, I can code. So I, I try to write a bot, get in on drops, sometimes flip them, keep some of the ones I like. But uh, but I think, you know, for long-term holds, punks, apes, those are the ones that are really going to hold value. Any parting shots before we get out of here, brother? No, dude, it's been it's been awesome getting to know you. It's been awesome. You've been like really involved in our discords. So people are always stoked when you drop in and say hi. So don't be a stranger. I'm happy to. I, I won't. I won't. Everybody who's here, listen, if you love proper football, if you understand where soccer sits on the pedestal in society, you know, what's great about, you know, the blockchain is it's transparent. Uh, It's been very important to me that I don't hide behind. I'm not, I don't own any wallets people don't know about. I have the Gnazi one that sits with your punks, which is my Russian name. And I have Gary.befriends.eth. And, you know, I, uh, I love that because I, with sports cards, you know, I went in very heavy four years ago and just the amount of people that want to just start rumors of like Gary selling these behind the scenes and pump and dump. And I always like my reputation is my, is my life. And I would get so frustrated to the point where like, in a lot of ways it turned me off of sports cards. It's like, what do I do? I can't enjoy it. Whereas with this, I love it. I can enjoy it, right? Like if I want to buy, if I want to sell, it's all there. Like there's no, you know, like hidden agenda. Um, And, you know, I, uh, I'm very fond of your project. I mean, thank you so much for introducing me to the the artist who did the iconic work. Like I I FaceTimed him uh, today, actually, was it today or yesterday? Today, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to like help him and bring him do some work with him. Like just love his art, but he did a great job. And like, my Ronaldo and Messi, like iconics, like I'm, I'm completely obsessed with your project. The, the way you structured it, the Mbappes with the star, I like, and, and very honestly, like maybe this is probably counterproductive, but I love being honest with my, my, um, audience. I'm loving this little lull. I've noticed this being a pattern explosion, little low explosion, little low. I've seen it with punks now for nine months. I see it with B friends right now. I think B friends is like, um, an interesting lull opportunity right now. But I'm enjoying this lull. I'm hoping to see how long it could go because I'm surely not done adding to my Strikers collection. So I, I hope we cross paths a bunch of the future, brother, and, I, and congrats on putting together one of the projects that long after both of us are gone and people dig up the bones of this era, this is going to be one of the projects they point to. For sure. Thanks, Gary. This has been great. Take care. As we end today's podcast, I want to give a huge shout out to the people. You know, it's so funny. People that leave reviews and written reviews of this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the other platforms just mean the world to me. You've taken an extra 13 to 95 seconds to show love and also give context to people of why this is a worthwhile podcast. So I appreciate that so much. And even more fun, because uh, I think we all love a little cosign or a shout out or a little awareness. Uh, I'm gonna have the team give a couple of shout outs uh, daily on uh, our favorite reviews. So take it away, which were our favorites this week. Thanks so much, Gary. Today's amazing review reads, always reignites my hunger and hustle. Anytime I'm feeling weird or sluggish, I listen to the latest episode of the Gary V audio experience. It always snaps me back to reality with his honest and blunt advice. Thank you, Gary. No, thank you for that amazing review. And to anybody else listening out there, if you leave us a review, you might just get shouted out in the next 
episode.